Amen. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 11, verse 12, and verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 11. It's good to be back home today. Thank you for being faithful. Amen to the house of worship. I want to tell you, I don't every, usually on Sunday I come really early and I'm here before usually most people get here, most everybody actually. So today I, I had to run home and grab something. I drove back in. It was just close to 9 o'clock and, and um, I saw some faithful people here, to, uh, here this morning. I drove up and saw Brother Steve standing out there in the drizzle and his hair was all nice and combed and he was smiling and, and he was shaking people's hands and waving at them as they came in. Aren't you thankful for the soldiers of the Lord? This, I thought, you know, I, I don't get to experience that. And then the choir in here practicing and praise singers getting here early to practice and pray and seek the Lord. I appreciate so much people being faithful. Somebody say amen. And I'll, I'll speak about that in some degree today. 2 Samuel 23 verse 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herahite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of beans. Everybody say beans. A bean field. Beans. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself, Shammah. That sounds like something you'd see at SeaWorld, isn't it? Shammah. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. He decided, I'm not going to let them take my beans. There's something worth defending here in this field. And it may just be beans to somebody else, but I'm tired of them taking my beans. Verse 20. Benaiah, the son, was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed, had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. I want to preach today with the help of the Lord from this thought. And the Lord brought great victory. And the Lord brought great victory. Praise God. I wish some saints of God that are full of the Holy Ghost this morning would say that with me. So the Lord brought great victory. Say it again. So the Lord brought great victory. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap one more time before you're seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. I desire today for the Lord to bring great victory I desire for there to be victory in every one of your lives my life your children's lives your family's life I believe God wants us to live in victory somebody say amen I believe with that in mind that means that 
if we're going to live in victory, that means there needs to be a winning of the battle. How many would say, Pastor, I feel like I'm in the midst of a battle today? Well, two or three of us. Pastor, I feel like I'm in a war today. How many know we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're warring in a spiritual war every day? Somebody say amen. But I believe the Lord wants to bring about a great victory. So the Lord brought a great victory. There are things that are required for the Lord to bring about a great victory. Now this weekend, uh, I would like to just for a minute share with you the feelings, our experience when I think about the military. We've already talked about it just for a second here today. But when I see men in uniform or I'm eating at a restaurant and someone has a, a hat on that says uh, they're a veteran of whatever war they may be a part of, uh, I think that's something to be respected and honored. Uh, my grandfather uh, and my stepfather both served in World War II. Uh, Cheryl's grandfather was served in the Navy. My father served in the Vietnam War. Um, and, and when you begin to think about veterans and men serving in war, maybe wartime or peacetime, uh, when you think about service medals or awards that they have received, uh, when they uh, get in their dress uniform and they have service medals or awards, those awards speak of battles that have been won or maybe not, maybe not even uh, the conflict they were in Maybe the outcome wasn't what everybody wanted, but it represents a commendation of uh, valor and strength in the fight and not giving up. You know, they don't pin purple hearts on people that go AWOL in the time of struggle. You know, it's one thing to receive it from a commanding officer. It's another thing to find one in a garage sale and buy it and pin it on your chest. These awards that are given to military for those that are served are worn with distinction because it represents that in the heat of the conflict, they didn't flinch. They were faithful. Uh, and there were a lot of stories this weekend about uh, such men. One, I heard uh, a man in a foxhole in the middle of a, a great conflict with our nation's uh, military and and uh, he was, he was uh, in movement with his unit and uh, there was an explosion and he felt uh, some, some pain in his leg. He looked down, he said, I didn't think anything about it. He said, it was a piece of shrapnel that had gone into my leg. It was about the size of a dime and he said, a little piece of it was sticking out. He said, so I just stopped and pulled it out of my leg and stuck it in my pocket thinking, you know, that, uh, I'll show that to my kids one day or my grandkids one day. <laughs> And uh, he said, and he won a Purple Heart for uh, his military service. He said he went back, he was moving with his unit. They dug in and they were in foxholes. He said he was in there for a number of days and he noticed his legs started swelling and he started having some difficulty and eventually couldn't walk on his leg. He had to be evacuated out of the battle zone uh, because he was now suffering from tremendous infection. And the story goes about how he battled this infection, almost took his life. He said, you know, I didn't feel like I deserved a Purple Heart because I got a little dime-sized piece of shrapnel 
stuck in my leg and stuck it in my pocket and brought it home with me. And uh, he said, I just don't feel like I deserve that. And somebody said, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's not an ordinary person that pulls a dime-sized piece of shrapnel out of their leg, dives back in a foxhole and says, I'm here to fight the good fight. When I think about those men, I, I think about us sitting here today and the song we just sung is so true. Somebody asked me a short time ago, What's, what do you seem to be facing now in ministry and after all these years of ministry and all these years of pastoring, uh, we go through seasons of battle. Somebody said, what are you facing nowadays in this current season of ministry? And I said, well, the number one thing that I feel like our greatest battle is right now is self-centeredness. Selfishness. My way, comfort, those things that we all battle with. This man said, I didn't deserve a, a purple heart for just getting a little piece of shrapnel in my leg. But when I think about all of our frustrations and I think about how we can be, uh, we, the, the bomb can be set off when we cannot find any, any service for our, telephone, our cell phones and we can't find any wireless service and I can't get my email or I can't send a text and we get all bent out of shape about all the things in this life that do not matter. Come on, I, I hope I today as I'm preaching in this service that I can encourage some warriors, some soldiers of the cross to keep on fighting, to keep on believing. Don't give up in the battle. It's going to be worth it all. But I hope I can preach to somebody today that your sights have been on lower things and your frustration has been on lower things. I pray that we can lift your vision today for you to realize there's something bigger than just cell phone service and a few texts and updating my status. I want to be saved when Jesus comes. I want to hear him I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord today. These metal wearers. Let's talk about these metal wearers for just a moment. The men of our text today wore these kind of metals. The chapter's full of them. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 23, the chapter we read out of, if you look at the heading at the beginning of the chapter, it's David's last words. Say that with me. David's last words. These are the last words uttered by the man after God's own heart. Notice what's coming out of his mouth. He's telling about men who you ought to pin some purple hearts on. He's talking about some men that didn't shrink from their duty. He's talking about some men that were faithful to the very end. He starts calling their name. And he said, you know what? I remember one fella that got upset with the enemy taking his beans. And he said, I'm not going to let them take my beans anymore. Somebody say amen. These were famous men. Men of renown. The kind of men the Bible calls overcomers. Paul would speak of them as more than conquerors. Shakespeare once said that there are three kinds of greatness. Men are born great. Secondly, others achieve greatness. And thirdly, still others have greatness 
thrust upon them. Shammah, as I read in 2 Samuel 23, seems to belong to the last of those. He had greatness thrust upon him. But wait, as we think about it, could it be that a man is not great because greatness is thrust on him? He has to have greatness somewhere in him. At that moment of, of, of decision where he says, I'm not taking it anymore. And the Bible says the Philistines had gathered an entire battalion and suddenly appeared in his community. The enemy had showed up. His neighbors all panicked. Everybody said, what are we going to do? It's getting bad. Look at what the devil's trying to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? But there was one man that said, run if you want to. Run if you will. I came here to stay. I'm not going to flinch. I know it looks bad, but now's the time to stand. And the Bible says, and the Lord wrought a great victory. What are you saying to us, Pastor? I'm saying to you that God doesn't bring great victory just because you sit there and pray enough. The Lord doesn't bring great victory because you come to church and say, well, I'm waiting on God to do something. No, God brings the victory when a man says, I've had enough. I'm not letting the enemy have my beans today. Come on, is there any saint of God that you may get weary at times? But on this morning, let your pastor encourage you that you should not be weary in well-doing. Fight on. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. And the Lord. Somebody shout, and the Lord. And the Lord wrought a great victory. One man against tremendous odds decides he's had enough and the Lord wrought the victory. See, it's not you that's winning the battle today. It's the Lord that brings the victory. All he needs for you to do is say, devil, I've had enough. I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm tired of being discouraged. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of feeling like I've got no joy. I'm tired of my kids being lost. I'm, uh, is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Oh, I know. We want to sing that song, They That Wait Upon the Lord. And you talk about waiting on your worship. I'm waiting to worship until the, you know, when God does something. I'm waiting to lift my hand till I feel something. Well, you may be waiting a long time. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes we have to stand by faith because it is faith that pleases God. We have to say, Lord, even though I don't feel victorious, I'm going to stand in my bean patch. I'm going to get right in the middle of it and I'm going to declare this is mine and this is the Lord's. Come on, saints of God. We need some of you to feel that way about this church. I'm going to stand in this bean patch and I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. Well, clap your hands unto the Lord. Ephesians 6, 13. Somebody say, fight on. I want to tell you, God saved us for this reason. We are not here to be pew warmers, tithe payers, 
Anybody hearing what I'm saying? There's not a thing wrong with being uh, on a church pew. There's not a thing wrong with being faithful in your finances. But the Lord didn't save you just to come to church. Ephesians 6.13 says, For this reason. Why? Well, the previous verses talks about the battle that we are in. And Paul says, For this reason, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. I want to tell you, you're in an evil day right now. And if you're going to stand, you better get on the armor of God. If you're going to make it, you better put on the breastplate of righteousness. You better get your girdle of truth on. You better put salvation over your mind. If you're going to make it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Somebody shout stand. Somebody shout stand. You see, when others are sitting, when others are falling by the wayside, the Lord says in that evil day, you better have on the armor, and when you've done all, just stand. That tells me one stout-hearted saint of God can stop an entire stampede. No, you didn't hear me. It doesn't take a church full of people on fire. It takes one man that says, I'm going to put on the armor and I'm going to stand. God forbid that I should let go or disregard or think ill of the freedoms that men like our veterans here today and those that I stood before that Vietnam Memorial, 56,000 plus names on that black granite. God forbid that I take for granted my freedom that cost the blood of sons and daughters, 18 and 19 and 20 year old children. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But in the same regard, I'm not going to let the blood of Christ be shed for my victory and then live in defeat. One man of God can stop an entire stampede of darkness. Come on, I wish a saint of God would raise your hand and say, I'm tired of it. I'm going to be that stout-hearted soul. I'm going to be that person that has on the armor of God. Jonathan was that kind of man. Jonathan, he was that kind of man. He and his armor bearer, the Bible says, we're going to 1 Samuel 14, 15. Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up on their hands and their feet. Did you hear that? It must have been pretty tough climbing because I climb on my feet. But these guys use their hands too. Okay. They climbed up by their hands and their feet. In other words, they say the going's getting tough, but if we got to use our hands, we're going to use our hands. I don't know if they had to do the monkey bars. I don't know if they had to claw with their hands and scramble with their feet, but when the going got tough, Jonathan and his armor bearer said, if you can't use your feet, use your hands. It's going to get tough. And the Bible says they climbed up 
by their hands and their feet. And the Bible says they cleaned out an entire garrison of the Philistines. Did you hear that? Everybody say, and the Lord. Say it again, and the Lord. See, I'm preaching to men here today that you got situations going on and you think, what else can I do? Listen, we're not talking about what you can do. We're talking about what the Lord can do. I'm preaching to a mother here today that's exhausted every avenue of help you know. But I'm gonna tell you today, the Lord wants you to know that he's the one that brings the victory. Listen, the Bible says that Jonathan and his armor bearer ran off an entire garrison of the Philistines. But I need to remind you, in fact, uh, Shayla, can you get verse 14? I think it's verse 14. 1 Corinthians 14. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, it were, in half an acre. Everybody say 20 men in a half acre. That's not a very big plot of ground and that's not a lot of guys. Well, you know, it'd be tough, you know, if you had to take on 20 guys, that might be pretty tough. But that doesn't sound like an entire garrison of Philistines, does it? No, that just tells me that Jonathan and his armor bearer said, we may not be able to run all of them off, but we're going to get a good start. <laughs> See, they didn't look at the entire battle. They didn't look at the entire garrison. They just said, we're going to do what we know we can do, and we're going to let God do what he can do. Look at the next verse, verse 15. And when they killed about 20 men in about a half acre of ground, there was a trembling in the camp and in the field and among all the people. And the garrison and the raiders began to tremble and the earth quaked. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When a man of God says, you know what, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. Come on, anybody hear what I'm saying today? God's given you courage. God's given you hope today. Come on, let's worship the Lord for a minute. God wants you to hear his word. You do what you can do, and the Lord will bring about a great victory. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. One man's courage. That that victory started with one man's courage. One man's courage. Somebody say praise the Lord. I, I, my mind goes back. I'm sorry, I'm just an old timer. I know. <laughs> I'm getting older and I'm an old timer. But I want to tell you it took courage to step out of that pew and walk down to an altar when I was a teenager. It took courage to say, I need God. It took courage to say, I'm in a battle and I need the prayers of God's people on me. Come on, it doesn't take courage for you to go to the bathroom when the sermon's over. That, uh, you may need to, but that don't take much courage. It doesn't take much courage to balance your checkbook while everybody else is in a spiritual war. But give me some men and women that'll say, I know it may not be popular, but I'm going to start this battle with courage. Lord, I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to do my part. The victory started with Jonathan saying, 
I don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going to go fight the good fight. We're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to seek God, we're going to do what God wants us to do. Somebody say amen. Shamgar was that kind of man. I hurry. Shamgar was that kind of man. The Bible says he was a farmer. Everybody say a farmer. Farmers don't look for much trouble. Everybody all right? Farmers don't look for trouble, but they don't run from it when it comes their way. They're tough fellers. Everybody okay? Farmers aren't fighters usually, but they're not going to run from trouble. And the Bible tells us that Shamgar, Shamgar, a farmer, the Philistines came against his community and Shamgar said, I've had enough. These are David's last words. Let me tell you about Shammah who just stood in the middle of a bean field and said, I'm not giving up my beans. Let me tell you about Shamgar who didn't go looking for trouble. But when the enemy showed up, you know what he did? The Bible says he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now I know that's a KJV word, a real fancy word for some kind of weapon. But do you know what an ox goad is? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a cattle prod. In other words, Shamgar didn't say, well, I don't have the equipment to fight. Shamgar didn't say, well, I need to go to marine, I need to go to basic training. No, Shamgar said, wait a minute, I got a cattle prod. I know how to use that. And the Bible says that God anointed Shamgar with a cattle prod to defeat the enemy. He had no cache of weapons, but he used what was in his hand. Saint of God, keep on praying. You say, well, I don't feel like I have many weapons. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. I wish somebody would hear their pastor today. Don't give up in the time of difficulty. For the Lord will bring about a great victory. Come on, I'm believing for great revival. I'm believing for your children and their children too. I believe God wants to heal and deliver and make a way. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord right now. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Some would say, well, you're fighting in the wrong time. You're fighting in the wrong place. You ought to use more wisdom. Take your time with these decisions. Be careful. Consider to you. Consider what the doctor says. Consider what the counselor said. I know you shouldn't be uh, stubborn. I understand that. The doctor says you got heart disease. You probably shouldn't go eat fried chicken every night. Man, there's a message. I got hit a little bump there, didn't I? I got about as much amen on that as I did God is great. Don't matter if I preach about chicken or God, your response is exactly the same. You probably shouldn't be stubborn when the doctor says you need to start walking, watching your, watching your fat intake. But sometimes when the doctor says there's nothing we can do, this is bad and it's getting worse, it can drive you into despair. 
And there are times when people around you said, oh, you better be careful. You better, well, there's a time where God's people need to say, wait a minute. This fight takes courage. I'm not going to lose this. I'm not going to let it fall by the wayside. I'm not going to worry because I know the battle is the Lord's. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody today that's in a battle. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. While your enemy is trampling down your pasture, destroying your property, laughing at you, I want to tell you, God, it, God knows where we are. I'm always reminded in the, in the midst of battle and great spiritual struggle, Joshua goes out into the woods and begins to pray and he sees an angel with a drawn sword. And when you see an angel with a drawn sword, you're going to want to know whose side are you on. And Joshua sees that angel, that soldier, this angel's decked out for battle. And Joshua said, who are you fighting for? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And the angel said, oh no, I'm on the Lord's side. Make no mistake about it. There may be your side and their side. But there's a third side you have not considered. And it's the Lord's side. And the battle is the Lord's. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. I I feel impressed to say this today. The enemy of your soul counts on you running. He expects you to retreat. He desires to plunder your life and plunder the church and plunder your family. What shall we do? James 4 verse 7 tells us what we should do. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Did you hear that? The devil expects you to retreat because he knows he's a defeated foe. And all you have to do is resist him. That tells me he's a bigger coward than you are. No, you didn't hear me. You say, well, I'm just going to go to church and I'm not going to make any fuss. I want to tell you the moment you say, devil, I'm not taking this anymore. Come on, is anybody hearing me today? I'm not taking this anymore. God is going to bless me. God is going to fight for me. God is going to help me. Come on, I don't have to take this worry. I don't have to take this fear. I don't have to take this anxiety. I don't have to take this depression. Oh no, the devil's a defeated foe. Oh, somebody shout, praise the Lord. And the Lord wrought a great victory. And that's all God needs to win a great victory. What is it? Oh, just a little moral energy. Just a little fortitude. Just a saint of God that says, I can't even fight anymore. And all I can do is stand. But I'm going to stand. And the Lord wrought a great victory. Come on, high school attender, junior high student, 
when the first attack of your faith comes in the classroom and every other student runs, it's your moment to stand. Come on, saint of God, when you're at work and they're laughing about Christianity and they're laughing about your godliness, you got a moment right then. Everybody else can run, but it's time to stand. No, you're not hearing me. Come on, parents. Your kids may laugh at you and say, well, that's old-fashioned. It's time to stand. No, not in this house. Oh, no, not here. Oh, no, I'm praying God. I want to tell you right now, one of the most powerful prayers I ever heard was my mother praying about me. When she said, God, I want my boy to serve you. And if he's not going to serve you, I'd rather you take him tonight. I'll never forget that as long as I live. That let me know my mother had a greater, uh, a greater desire for me to be saved than she did for me to live a long, happy life. That meant to me my mother wanted me to be saved more than she wanted my 15th birthday. Thank God for a mother who will say, I'm not running. I'm not caving to the culture in which I live. I want my boy to be saved. And all God needs is one person with a little moral fortitude that says, oh no, I'm not on my watch. When fear and anxiety tell you that they've claimed your emotions, your heart, you sit here today so so bound by fear you can't even worship God and the devil tells you there's no way out that's the moment to stand when your children seem further from God than they've ever been it's that moment that you stand I don't know how I don't know when and all my, I may win is a little half acre of ground. But the Lord is going to brought a great victory. Why all of a sudden is every voice in our world so important? Have you thought about this for a moment? Listen, news commentators. Somebody said it this morning. Andy said it this morning talking to somebody. I think yesterday at prayer there were some men that said, you know, I don't want to look at the news anymore. Have you noticed how many voices in our world are so important now? Economists saying what's going to happen in the next few months or years. Counselors, doctors, commentators. If you're not careful, your head starts spinning. If you're not careful, you want to pull the covers up over your head. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? But that's not what God's called us to. What does the Lord have to say about it? The economists say, oh, it can come crashing down any moment. The news commentators say it's bad and getting worse by the moment. Is anybody, anybody hearing me? What was it? Last Sunday that the young man down in Texas walked into a congregation and began to unload a semi-automatic weapon on the worshipers there. And they said everybody in the building was either killed or wounded. Have you ever seen such a day? 
I drove by churches on the way home last Sunday from Shreveport. I drove by churches that had police cars sitting out in the parking lot. Come on, is it time to be a fortress or is it time to know that the Lord will be a wall of fire about those that love and fear Him? What does the Lord have to say about it? Let me remind you that the Lord says when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, you're not hearing me. Whose report are you going to believe? Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gate. Oh, you're not hearing me. The gates of hell shall not prevail. The Lord won a great victory. Oh, come on. Let's worship the Lord today. Why should I fear? Why should I be distressed? Come on, somebody worship him and the Lord brought a great victory. I know it doesn't seem worth much to put up such a fight, to take such risk. Potiphar's wife said the same thing to Joseph. Nebuchadnezzar said the same thing to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why are you making such a big fuss about it? Just kneel down. Remember, It's God's property you're defending. No, you didn't hear me. You need to remember one thing. Those kids you're worried about, they're property of the Lord. Jesus bought them with his own blood. This community that we're worried about, don't forget that God's property is what we're defending. Did you hear me? Come on, mother. Come on, father. You're in a marriage and you say, I'm tired of fighting. But let me say something to you. It's God's property that you are defending. So you know what? I'm going to stand. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. It's that spirit that makes the name John Paul Jones. Is John Stevens here today? Where's he at? not here. Well, he just missed it then. This was his moment. He's an old Navy man. John Paul Jones lives in American naval history. Some of you may not remember it, but when I mention it, it'll come back to you. In in our struggle for independence as a nation, John Paul Jones supervised the change, the changing of a merchant ship into an armed Navy vessel. He changed this merchant ship into a battleship and he renamed the vessel Poor Richard in deference to Benjamin Franklin. And on September the 23rd, 1779, Poor Richard, a merchant ship that they put cannons on and turned into a battleship, it encountered an English convoy protected by a battleship, an English battleship, a warship, Serapis, that had 44 guns across its deck. The encounter took place off the coast of Scotland, and in history there were many witnesses. The battle began at 7.30 p.m. and was fought into the darkness of the night 
on which that night the history says it was a tremendous full moon and you could see almost like daylight. And as the battle raged, poor Richard, the little merchant ship that was turned into a battleship, was badly damaged. And the English commander sent a message to Jones whether he was prepared to surrender or not. And Jones made this memorable reply that became a part of our nation's legend. You'll remember it now. Where Jones said, Sir, I have not yet begun to fight. I wish there'd be some saints of God here today that the devil's saying, why don't you just give up? I wish there'd be a spirit of John Paul Jones that would get a hold of you and say, devil, I haven't even begun to fight. Come on. I haven't even begun to battle. I'm tired of sitting in the stands. I'm going to go to war. John Paul Jones in that infamous and that wonderful famous statement that he made after this reply his soldiers went on to tell and all those that were watching the battle were amazed John Paul Jones turned that little vessel that little merchant ship toward that great battleship and that battleship continued to fire volley after volley Jones pulled so close that the volleys were going over the merchant ship. History says that he got right beside that great warship and he commanded his soldiers to lash those two ships together. And then those soldiers climbed over those decks and the decisive part of the battle was won not by firing a cannon but by climbing over to the enemy's camp and say we're not surrendering. We're going to keep on fighting the... Come on, I'm preaching to some saints of God that need to say, I'm going to lash my vessel to the enemy and I'm going to fight. I want to tell you that takes courage. I said that takes courage. The enemy tries to convince you to surrender. It takes courage to say, I'm going to keep on fighting. And I close with this. The Bible tells us about another, David's last words. Shammah stood in the middle of a bean field and said, I'm the only one here, but this is God's property I'm defending. Shamgar said, I'm a cattle rancher, but I got a cattle prod, and that's enough. And the Lord wrought a great victory. See, some of you are wondering how you're going to do it. It's not about you doing it. It's about you standing for what is right. That's what God blesses. Benaiah, the Bible says, this battle started with a weather report. The weather forecast was sleet and snow. And Benaiah, the Bible says, he had killed a lion-like man or two lion-like men of Moab. And he had also killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Listen, I'm not sure what order those came in. We know at the time of 
2 Samuel 23, that they're already in the past. He had killed two men that were lion-like. And he had went to battle against a lion in a pit when it was sleeting and snowing. But if I know anything about chronological order, I know that before David killed Goliath, he killed a lion and a bear. And I'm kind of of the suspicion that Benaiah, before he killed two lion-like men of Moab, he probably had to kill the lion in the pit. You see? When you decide you're going to give up in the battle, you may be forfeiting future victory. Well, this isn't worth fighting for. The lion's in the pit already. He's not going to bother anybody. But Benaiah said, no, I know it's a bad day. And everybody's sitting around the fireplace. But I found out that the prowler is cornered. I found out that a lion that has been stalking our community has fallen into a pit. He knew right where the enemy was so he reached for his sword and he sludged through the sleet and the snow and he said, you know what? I'm going to stop this fear today. He said, I'm going to end my losses today. So it was D-Day in reality, decision day. And the Bible says the Lord wrought a great victory. So before Benaiah could kill two lion-like men of Moab, he had to first kill the lion that was captured in the pit of his community. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. Then if you are, then you understand that before you have greater victory, you've got to kill the enemy that's already captured that you've let stay alive. See, this lion was not out there roaming around. You understand he was in a pit, don't you? And they had dug that pit to trap animals. You understand that, don't you? So the lion had fallen into the trap, but the lion was still alive. And there are people sitting in this room right now that don't care that the lion is still alive. I've just got him controlled. No, you, you got to go to battle against that controlled enemy. You say, well, I'm keeping my temptation under control. Or I'm keeping my habits under control. Or I'm keeping my anger. Oh, no. It's not enough to put the line in the pit. you got to go out even though the weather isn't favorable. And you got to do battle against that thing that you think you're controlling. I want to tell you right now, God doesn't want you to live another day bound. He doesn't want you to live another day in fear. Oh, is anybody hearing me today? What lion is captured or you, you know, maybe every once in a while he roars, but you try to keep him in that pit. As long as he's here, he can't hurt very many people. As long as he's here, I know where he's at. I know where to find him. You keep going back there. That line keeps intimidating you. I'm preaching to somebody right now. The only, I want to tell you, the Lord knows how to bring about a great victory. Because when you get into that pit and say, Lord, I'm going to deal with this controlled enemy. I'm going to deal with this temptation. I'm going to deal with this issue in my life. You are, you are setting yourself up 
for greater victory in Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, let me, let me put it to you plainly. Listen. You... Can I, just, can I just open my heart to you for a minute? I had a little situation happen last week, physically, and uh, Thursday afternoon, so Friday morning, it wasn't any better, so I went to the emergency room. When I went to the emergency room, I quickly realized that the emergency room is for emergency cases. And if you're not about to croak, they're going to try to get you out of there pretty quick. I was there just to make sure I hadn't damaged myself. I know I'm talking in innuendo, but just stay with me. I quickly realized that the emergency room doctor, he said, well, we'll, we'll order you some pain medication, some muscle relaxer. Here's what we want you to take. And I looked at that. And I thought, you know, I'm not ignorant of the devil's devices. I mean, at one time, God winked at ignorance. He's not winking anymore. Because I'm just two clicks away to find out what that doctor just put in my hand. No, for you that don't understand what I just said, I can go to Google and in two clicks I can find out what he's telling me to take. And when I put, I went into Google, I said, what is this? And it came back, this is a narcotic. It's highly addictive. Once you start taking it, you may not ever get off of it. Now, I can ignorantly and blissfully walk through and say, well, the doctor told me to do this. But I want to tell you what. I wanted to preach today in my right mind. Now, you're not hearing what I'm saying. If we're not careful, we'll let little lions live in pits all around us. But God's calling us to rise. Oh, you're not. To say I'm not going to allow this lion to roar from its controlled position any longer. Well, I got it under control, preacher. It's, oh, no, 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 no. No, it's time to kill that lion that's in that pit. Oh, Brother Gene, you don't understand. I just, I have some, I have a couple of bad days. And then I have a couple of months where everything's good. You know what? You need to kill that lion. And I want to tell you why it's important you do that. Why, why was David considered it an issue of faithfulness to kill the lion and the bear that were about to steal property that was not theirs? His sheep. Everybody okay? David said, no, you're coming to take something that's not yours. You can't have my sheep. So he killed the lion and he killed the bear. The Bible tells us that the next foe he faced was Goliath who also was trying to take something that was not his, God's people. So you need to understand very quickly that the little lions that you allow to exist in your pit of control, they are keeping us 
They are keeping the people of God from victory because you may be the key. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible says, Benaiah killed a lion in a pit and then there came a day when two lion like men came out from Moab listen you can't kill the big enemy until you deal with the one that's in the pit oh brother Gene when it really gets going I'm going to get in here and get faithful I'm going to really worship when you sing this song I'm going to really worship no you won't worship when we don't sing so don't tell me how you're going to go to battle when the battle's getting rough you can't even run with a footman how are you going to run with a horseman so what is the pastor saying he's saying it's time for you to fight the good fight of faith to lay hold of eternal life Oh, come on, lift your hands and let's worship the Lord right now. Come on. All over this building, Lord, what battles are coming in our future, Lord, that today, the enemy, today the victory depends on what we do with the lion in the pit. Yeah. Another warrior went down into a pit. He had a fight with a roaring lion. Yep, it was deadly, it was hand-to-hand combat. And that warrior came out with a bruised heel, but make no mistake about it, he had crushed the head of the enemy. And that man that jumped down in that pit that went to battle with that lion, his name was Jesus Christ. And Calvary was rough and brutal, but Jesus won the victory. Yes, he did. I want to tell you, I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious. He causes me always to triumph. And deep down in our lives, there's an enemy. The New Testament calls it the sin that so easily besets us. Let me ask you something. What is the sin that so easily trips you? Are you so far gone that you don't even know what sin is now? Because a cursory read through the New Testament will tell you who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's a good place to start with what is sin. So if you find anything in that list that besets you, it'd be a good thing to say I'm not going to be involved in that sin anymore. There's a sin that so easily besets you and you, we're all, we've all got different areas of conflict but it is the lion that's in the pit. It is the robber. It's, it will taunt you. It has stolen a great deal from you. And now who dares to come after it? There's a victory for the man and the woman who will do it who say, you know what, I'm going to kill the lion that's in the pit. So what are you going to do with that discouragement? What are you going to do with that complacency? What are you going to do with that flesh that keeps rising up, that attitude, that anger, that temptation, that bitterness? What are you going to do with it? You're going to keep it controlled? Or are you going to dive in there and finally kill it? I want us to stand right now. I want you to reach over and connect with somebody beside you. I feel the Holy Ghost, God speaking to us. God's speaking to us right now. Come on. Reach over and connect with a friend 
a loved one, a husband, a wife, a grandson, a grandchild, a child. Come on, your children. Reach over. Pray right now for one another. In the name of Jesus, Lord. Come on, what is it you keep fighting against? What is it that keeps popping up every two weeks? What is it that it seems like you can never get the victory over it? I want to tell you, if you'll stand today, if you'll say, Lord, I'm going to fight. I don't even know how to start, but I'm going to be determined when I leave this service that with your help, Lord, with your strength, I'm going to battle. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to lay hold on eternal life. Come on, right now, while the saints are praying, I want some man or woman, some young person, I don't care how old or how young, it doesn't matter if you walked in this church the first time today or you've been here every Sunday we've had church. If the Holy Ghost is speaking to you right now, I want you to move out of those chairs. I want you to make your way to this altar and say, Lord, there's a lion in a pit that I need to get a hold of. There's a lion in a pit today that I need to kill. Lord, there's some battles that I put off that today I need your help to win the battle come on come on come on I know the Lord's speaking to you I've seen it oh God come on right now come on dads and mothers come on cold saints come on discouraged heart come on today's the day that the Lord can bring great victory Lord, if I stand, you're able, Lord, to bring the victory in my life. Come on. Come on from all over the building. Come on now, these people represent individuals that the Lord has said there's an area in your life that you need victory in. Now give me some saints of God that'll come and pray. Give me some saints of God that'll come pray with other people. That will encourage them. Come on, don't give up. Come on, don't give up. You're nearer your salvation than when you first believed.